So welcome to our final interview of 2021, Daisy. Um, I'm sure you're a little bit sad, you know, the last one of the year, but also maybe we'll be looking forward to putting 2021 behind us as well. There's been plenty of highs and lows, which we're going to explore. But before we get into the appraisal of yourself and your party, let's have a look at what you're going to do during this festive period, because I've talked to Bim, I've talked to Bambos, and I find it quite interesting that people automatically assume that you know parliament stops everybody stops working but you're still very very busy right now aren't you yeah that's right i mean obviously parliament isn't sitting and um, so what that means is that we can't physically go into parliament uh, we can't ask questions of the government we can't do any of that kind of public scrutiny um but there are still private briefings that are happening with the government's um, medical scientific advisors um, there's still a few sort of last minute pieces of urgent casework I'm dealing with, people trying to get uh, family members uh, to get into the country and whether they can get their COVID passes. So sort of working behind the scenes with uh, some of the junior ministers to see if we can solve any of those kind of problems. So there's still stuff happening uh, behind the scenes. But of course, without Parliament sitting, people aren't going to see it on their TVs. And so... Let's move it on to to you then, Daisy, because I think it's quite a good time to reflect. You know, everybody has their their January uh, kind of New Year's resolutions and everything, but that also involves kind of appraising yourself. So you've been the MP for St Albans now for two years. Do you believe that you've been able to deliver on the many pledges you stood on in 2019, or do you feel that COVID has stopped you a little bit? Um, no, I'd like to think that I've I've worked pretty hard on those things. I mean, when I stood in 2019, I said that I was going to try and fight against a hard Brexit, um, you know, and I voted against the, the Tories' hard Brexit deal, and I've raised numerous concerns on behalf of constituents, um, particularly those in business, about how various new bits of red tape have impacted their companies. Um, I said I would campaign hard on the climate emergency, uh, and I've been doing a lot of that, including on the all-party parliamentary group on climate change. Um, and I said I would campaign for education and health funding as well. Um, and those have been two of my major priorities in the last couple of years. And now my cat has come to join us. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an extra interviewee. Uh, yeah. I can I can ask the cat if she approves as well, or they. I don't want to assume uh, boy uh, or girl. A boy. It's, it's, it's a boy cat, but the answer will inevitably be dreamies to whatever the question yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> um, this year also saw the transition of you being Liberal Democrat spokesperson for health, well-being and social care. But previously, you were spokesperson for education. Do you prefer this role change? So they're very different uh, kind of portfolios to have. Um, I think one of the challenges with the education brief was that all of the problems were systemic. So it required lobbying the government for long term changes. You know, how do you change the uh, you know, the exam system, how do you um, change the funding formula? They're really kind of long-term issues uh, with things changing very slowly. Whereas because of the pandemic, the health brief is incredibly fast moving. Uh, and as I'm sure, you know, all local residents and your listeners will be aware, sometimes things can change in a matter of hours, right? So it's a very fast moving brief. Um, and the, the, the downside of that is that you're sort of constantly trying to respond to things. The upside is there's quite a lot of opportunities for influencing the government and shaping change change um, because obviously the government isn't making policy as it goes it doesn't have sort of you know historical sort of policy commitments that it's stuck that you know that it's got to stick to um, so um, it's a very different kind of brief um, and I have to say I'm, so far I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Do you feel it aligns a bit more with your values though or, or were you just as invested in people's education as well? 
Oh, I think uh, uh, both of them are fantastic portfolios to have. Uh, I mean, as a as a Liberal Democrat, you know, we do believe that uh, education is what gives people huge opportunities in life. Um, and we know that the education and life chances that children have in their first, well, education and upbringing kids have in their first few years will often determine their life's outcomes. So we definitely, you know, philosophically, we strongly, strongly believe in that. But I guess on a personal level, um, because having had Crohn's disease myself, um, you know, I'm, I guess I have a very strong personal interest uh, in health to say they're just you know they're both public services we both you know we believe in both of them but um i think the the way in which the health brief at the moment is very fast moving um and uh, is really really very interesting for me so moving on as well to your role within the party your deputy leader and there seems to have been a lot of progress made uh we're going to talk about the by-elections a little bit later but do you believe that it's been a great year for yourself in kind of shaping the party a little bit as well. Um, I'd like to think so. Um, obviously, we have had um, two fantastic by-election wins, one in Buckinghamshire in Cheshire and Amersham, not far from here, uh, and the other in North Shropshire, which is a little bit further away. <laughs> um, uh, um, but in addition to that, that was, a, that was a huge team effort and the party sort of threw its weight behind it. Um, uh, this, a lot of the work I've been doing is, been supporting candidates getting selected in what we call our blue wall seats, a number of the seats that we're hoping to win at the next general election. Uh, we've made significant progress in that regard. We do have a number of candidates um, who are now selected and who are going to start campaigning on the ground with the hope of getting elected uh, whenever the next general election comes. And let's move it to, you know, talking about breaking blue walls. You did it in your local constituency, obviously on a council level, but it's still incredibly important that you gain control of the St Albans District Council. How much do you believe has been achieved by them already? And also kind of maybe adding to that, is it nice to be able to work with like minded people within the council now? So first of all, I do think I'm, I'm incredibly proud of the work that our Lib Dem councillors are doing at St Albans District Council. Um, you know, they said the first thing they did was declare a climate emergency. They now have, you know, 100 or more climate projects underway and are making significant progress on many of those. Um, you know, when the Lib Dems took over, we had local residents living in accommodation that quite frankly wasn't really habitable and people shouldn't have been living in some of this really, really poor quality accommodation. And I'm really proud of the fact that our local administration has applied for lots of grants they've invested money in improving housing for local people and starting to tackle this major issue of the housing crisis by building the social homes that our community needs um, and the other third area is investing in community facilities you know and with the support of lots of local Lib Dem councillors we've seen new play equipment popping up you know in Clarence Park and um, you know in um, places in Batchwood as well in Oysterfields and um, you know new play equipment in Verland Park as well um, and that's really really important because you know we want our community to have have decent facilities so i think on all three of those kind of priorities i think they're doing a fantastic job and with yourself like i said is it nice to work with these people i mean uh, i i don't want to comment because i've not asked you before but is your relationship maybe improved with the council now because they're like-minded liberal democrats and so you you feel like you can streamline some issues that maybe you have that you want to bring to them but yes and no. I mean, the Lib Dems took control of the council before I was elected as an MP. So they had minority control. Now they have majority control. So the Lib Dems were already sort of 
effectively sort of running uh, the council by the time I was elected. So I haven't had to work with the council under any other administration. Um, I guess, you know, just like in any family or in any kind of uh, political party, there are pros and cons. And the, the, the first is that, you know, we are like minded, we share the same goals. And therefore, um, that's, you know, when the local council are trying to do things on their priorities, I'm often doing similar things in Parliament. So it can be streamlined. Um, on the other hand, we're all very, you know, acutely conscious that, um, you know, my job is to represent constituents and if constituents you know want to raise issues uh, with the council then you know we will have to have a healthy enough distance that we can challenge where we need to and that works both ways now one of the issues that has been raised by constituents is flooding at the cotton mill allotments it's been a year-round issue uh, and especially now with the uh, winter weather setting in uh, can people feel secure that there's not going to be issues going forward or what's being done to to make sure that the future is safe for that area Sure. Well, I'd like to be able to say there's going to be no more flooding, but I can't make that guarantee, I'm afraid. Um, This is a long-standing issue. We have made some progress, but it's going to take a little bit more time to figure it all out. So um, when I went down there, you know, um, and we got lots of different people together, we identified, I think, two or three different issues. One was that the riverbank um, had basically crumbled. Uh, We've now made some progress in as much as the local St Albans District Council has agreed to fund uh, some of the um, materials that are needed to repair the bank. But in order to do that, um, the uh, Allotment Association has to apply for an environmental permit from the Environment Agency to be able to do that work. So they're putting together a group at the moment to apply for that permit and hopefully that will come through and they'll be able to fix it. The other issue is that um, the Environment and Affinity Water have got um, a system down there, a pumping station. And when the pumping station is working, um, it sort of artificially suppresses uh, the water table, which prevents the area from flooding. The problem has been that Affinity Water every now and then have to do emergency repair works again uh, on the pumping station. And that means the water table then rises. And if it rains at the same time, which we obviously can't predict, <laughs> then it might flood again. So, I mean, there has been some progress in as much as, as I say, the District Council have going to fund the materials. Affinity Water is now um, clearly communicating with uh, the allotment holders. Um, but, you know, if there's a problem with the pumping station, if it rains at the same time, there is another risk, I'm afraid, that it, it could flood. But hopefully it won't be on anything like the scale that we've seen before. I want to revisit uh, a comment that you and I looked at a little bit earlier in the year, because I think the continued situation with COVID has made it a relevant discussion point for 2021 and beyond. Uh, Mark was a listener who emailed in. He criticised you, stating, at least Bim Afalami attends the House of Commons. The St Albans MP seems happier working from home. But could you explain why exactly that the hybrid parliament that we have seen has actually been more successful in allowing a more representative House of Commons? Sure. So, I mean... I'm very much the view that there are some things that are much better done when they're physically in Parliament, and there are some things that can be done very well in a hybrid Parliament. So I think when there is a a debate, um, uh, the debate is much better when it's done in person, because you you are more attentive to what's going on, you have to be physically in the chamber, which means you're listening, you have to, you can interject and intervene on people, and you can ask questions when they're in the, you know, whilst, whilst they're talking, and you can have a bit of back and forth so it's genuinely a debate it's very hard to do that and so far it's been impossible to do that um, via zoom 
And um, that said, there are many other parts of Parliament which just go back and forth. So, for example, when we ask questions of a minister or a minister makes a statement and then we get to ask a question, that's just very back and forth. And actually, I don't see that there's any real difference between doing that on Zoom or doing it in the chamber. And what we've seen is that just like the rest of the population, there are members of parliament who maybe have long-term conditions. Some of them may be clinically extremely vulnerable and don't feel safe going into parliament because they're still shielding. Um, some of them may be living with somebody else who is shielding, uh, or perhaps they have um, you know, care arrangements. And there's been some really interesting research done that shows that those, uh, that actually women MPs, uh, who often are the ones who still do the majority of the caring, uh, participate more when it was a virtual parliament uh, because they you know because it was um they were more able to do so so you know i don't i'm not going to suggest that we should disband a physical parliament altogether um but i do think that there is a role for having a virtual parliament um and of course there are already rumors that parliament might get recalled as soon as next week uh, to discuss potential new covid protections um you know from the end of the year going into 2022 and if so that might well be a virtual parliament that's recalled next week so we'll have to wait and see but uh, i certainly think it has some merits and i'd like to see elements of it stay yeah that this is the point is kind of bringing the elements that work to to make democracy work for everybody that that's the whole point of it being uh fairly representative of the people let's move it on though because last year um again this is kind of like reeling off almost football stats for me in my day job you managed to send 13,100 emails to and on behalf of constituents have 132 advice surgeries meetings and visits in St Albans 301 questions and speeches in parliament and 8,809 constituents helped with personal or political issues do you have the stats for this year just to to make people realize you know how much yeah as a parliamentarian you do behind the scenes yeah sure so haven't got the exact figures i rounded them up um so could you give me a heads up about this question so uh, <laughs> so actually I've, it's more constituents that i've helped this year it's been ten and a half thousand people um but with the same number of emails roughly so about thirteen and a half thousand emails have been sent either to or on behalf of constituents um, and this year I think in 2020 I did about 300 questions and speeches uh, this year it's around 630 questions and speeches so it's been quite a lot more. Goodness me uh, it, it is fascinating and, and I think it links to the final question that I've got on your personal politics but last year we discussed about how Covid stopped you from meeting and chatting with constituents you, you found it quite sad you know you like that personal connection with the people would you say that this year has been more enjoyable and an improvement because you've been able to talk to people even if some of these discussions in person have been sad or upsetting you felt like you could you could make more of an impact in person yeah so a lot of my visits this year I guess have been you know have had to be COVID secure right so quite a lot of my meetings this year as we came out of the sort of lockdown last year uh, you know in the start of the year they've been outside and socially distanced or limited to certain numbers of people um you know I took part in parliament week this year I think I went to I can't remember eight or nine different schools during parliament week um obviously I had to wear my mask and keep a little bit of a distance you know from from all of the students um and uh, doing my lateral flows every single day during that week 
Um, so it's been lovely to see more people. Um, and of course, you know, but it had been limited in that way. In terms of my surgeries, um, there's only been one person who has asked for a physical surgery specifically. The vast majority of people locally have actually, we've given them an option and they've actually preferred to have a virtual one in many cases, which I found quite interesting. Um, and it's often because uh, it's all sorts of reasons. So, you know, uh, one family wanted to have the surgery on Zoom because um, they wanted to have it as soon as possible and they were on holiday so we did it they were in their holiday cottage when we did the surgery <laughs> um somebody else joined us from a from a boat on the Norfolk Broads uh, which is quite strange because they were bobbing up and down on the zoom screen, <laughs> which made me feel a little bit peculiar um and then of course you know people who um have uh, caring issues it's much easier for them you know to, to be at home with the person for whom they care uh, and join a zoom call than it is for them to have to arrange for somebody else to come in and do the caring whilst they come to a meeting so yeah with the exception of just one person and um, everybody has preferred to, to keep the surgeries online which i found quite interesting I suppose it, it links back to our point about uh, a fair and open democracy by having that hybrid, having that ability to offer people. Maybe now people realise uh, uh, ways to make it more accessible for people to kind of voice their discussions. But let's move it to party politics. Um, and I asked Bim, I've asked Bambos kind of their thoughts and feelings we talked about positives, but also were critical of both of their parties. Are you disappointed with the actions of both of your opposing parties? So the Conservatives, we've talked all year about the long list of criticisms and we've explored it. People can kind of listen back on certain issues of the time. But there's also issues around the Labour Party. Uh, leadership has seemingly gone back on every promise it has made. Do you believe that maybe you're one of the only of the big three to stick to your principles? Well, I mean, I think the Labour Party has its challenges, um, but my focus primarily is on the Conservative Party because they're the ones in charge, right? They're the ones in government. They're the ones that are um, making decisions and spending taxpayers' money. And so that's really where my focus has been. Um, you know, I, I guess you'd say I might say this, but I think, you know, the voters of North Shropshire <laughs> have sent a very clear message as to what they think of Boris Johnson and his government, right? And that's a seat that have been Tory for 200 years. And I think the voters of North Shropshire reflect and echo what I think a lot of people across the country think, which is that people are sick of being taken for granted. They have been appalled by the sleaze and the slew of rule-breaking revelations. Um, I think people are really angry because when all these revelations came out about the, you know, the party gate stuff, you know, it, it really opened up sore wounds from last Christmas when, you know, for some people, they either spent it on their own or their loved ones spent it on their own or some of them had the Christmas on their own and it was their last Christmas because they then you know, subsequently died with or because of COVID. Um, and so I think people really are angry at the Tory party and the Tory party very clearly, you know, know that and they themselves have said that the Prime Minister is now on notice. So, um, yeah, hopefully that answers your question. <laughs> it's an interesting insight to the, the kind of party dynamics. Let's move it, though, to a very serious issue that we talked about quite at length and, you know, we can do it again because I think it hasn't gone away. Earlier in the year, we saw the tragedy of what happened to Sarah Everard, highlighting the injustice still faced daily by women across the country. Uh, you said on BBC Radio 4 that everything needs to change. And you kind of continued that line here on Radio Verulam as well. But do you believe that change has even started, though? 
Oh, I have to say, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm so angry about this. I'm so passionate about this subject. And I really don't think very much has changed. Um, you know, there were lots of calls at the time on the government to launch all sorts of initiatives, you know, to have powerful um, public awareness campaigns, you know, explaining to, to men that they had to change their behaviour, you know, investment in, um, uh, in rape services and support for women. There's been a few changes in that respect, but, you know, it's very slow to, to come to fruition. Um, you know, so I'm I am really worried that it's me want you know that it was a, a flash in the pan kind of moment and that it's not going to get taken up seriously and there's not going to be systemic change and I think it's incumbent on MPs like me and others who care about this issue to keep reminding the government that actually things have got to change and, and the government needs to lead. I guess what I would say locally in St Albans is that there have been um you know two or three um uh, initiatives. I mean, the first is that I've seen a lot of schools tackle this head on. A lot of schools have been talking to young men and women in their schools about um, uh, about consent and um, about whether they feel safe and trying to explain to young men what it's like being a young woman uh, in terms of either, you know, being on the end of catcalling or misogynistic comments or walking home at night and trying to explain that kind of reality. Um, the Save St Albans Pubs campaign have launched a Safe St Albans Pubs campaign to raise awareness about drinks biking and what to look for in your drink so um, as and when people go into bars and restaurants in St Albans they should start to see these posters which is raising awareness of that and the you know the landlords and restaurant owners themselves are working together in a network to make sure that every pub is signed up to a sort of code of behaviour, as it were, to make sure that if anybody appears as though their drink has been spiked, that they're looked after. And they're also raising awareness of the fact that um, drink spiking happens to men and women. Uh, and often it happens to men because people are trying to steal money off them or something like that. And men are far less likely to come forward uh, and open up about that. So they're trying to raise awareness. And that's a good thing. And of course, I held a, um, a public meeting recently about street lighting. Uh, and a number of women came to that event and, and highlighted particular places in St Albans where they didn't feel safe. And our councillors have gone away with that list and they're trying to sort of improve those areas. Well, it's good to hear on maybe St Albans level of things are being done. But uh, to, to echo your points, it does seem there is a slowness in uh, the nationwide approach to this issue. Let's turn it to the electoral discussions then. You know, we, uh, we've talked about a few issues there, but the Liberal Democrats have seen by-elections go their way, the crumbling of the blue wall, bursting Boris's bubble. Um, they, they were helpfully aided by some visual aids at each victory. Uh, I, I did uh, enjoy watching for the entertainment value, both kind of smashing the wall and bursting the bubble. Um, but do you believe that the message from your party now is being heard and trusted by the electorate? I mean, I certainly think that, you know, those phrases, the blue wall and the phrase, you know, the party's over bursting Boris's bubble. I mean, you know, they've appeared now across, you know, national newspapers and in broadcast and they're being used in political commentary. So to that extent, I mean, that message really is cutting through. Um, I think what you can see is that there are people who... Uh, have always voted Conservative and people who have never voted Conservative who are deciding that they now want to vote Liberal Democrat uh, and, you know, through Cheshire and Amersham and North Shropshire, you know, they're two very different seats in two very different parts of the country with two very different types of demographic with, you know, very different issues. And yet they both came to the same conclusion that the Lib Dems were the best bet uh, you know, to, to beat the Tories uh, and to elect a good, strong local MP. So, um, so yeah, I think if, if you look at the results in those two places, I think that shows that our message is cutting through and voters have decided to put their trust in us. 
Looking at the the two by-elections, though, the party nationwide is polling at just 10%, which is actually down on the 11% at the last general election. How will you build and create a stronger party that can compete with Labour and Conservatives across the country? Well, I think I've said before, um, you know, I spent three and a half years trying to win St Albans. It took us a couple of general elections. And during that time, I think our polling nationally was somewhere between 8% and 24%, right? Uh, and the national polling didn't really make any difference to whether or not we won St Albans. What, what made a difference was working hard and building a strong local campaign team on the ground. Um, and that's what we intend to do in many other places around the country. Um, I guess what I would say is, again, we've also been very clear that we will have to focus our resources and we'll focus our resources on the places where we are in second place um, and where we think that we can win by beating the Tories. So that's that's really where our focus is going to be. I mean, it, it sounds almost a bit like... Uh... The, the tactical voting technique and a lot of people are talking about Labour and the Liberals kind of uniting to take down the Conservatives. Is this a possibility? You know, we've seen it in Milton Keynes. Is this the way to ensure that Britain is brought about to your kind of ideas? Is is the tactical voting technique the one that you're going to have at the next election? So Milton Keynes is an example of a, of a local council, right? So that doesn't, you can't really extrapolate that example out into uh, general elections. You know, in Milton Keynes and in other council areas as well, you've got Labour and Lib Dems who both be Conservatives and they're now working together because that's what the numbers showed, right? In the same way that in St Albans, when the Lib Dems took minority control of the council, we worked with Labour, Greens and Independents, you know, until we have majority control. So there's lots of examples where local councils, where parties work together at a local council level. I think at the... Uh, the national level, I mean, I've been really clear that I, I don't like the idea of parties standing down for other parties. And certainly we have no intention of taking part in any kind of arrangement like that. Um, I think it's an insult to voters, quite frankly, because I think voters, you know, voters are very bright. People, voters are tuned in. People know, um, you know, what the choice is at a general election. And people understand that in our voting system, there are only two options as to who can win a particular seat. And people will make up their own minds as to who they want to vote for and why. Um, what we've said, you know, I'm sure Labour will do the same. But as far as we're concerned, you know, we have to focus on areas where we think we can win. Um, and, um, you know, it appears as though Labour is coming to a sort of similar conclusion there's no arrangement there. It's simply that, you know, we need to focus on those areas. Um, and we thought we could win Cheshire and Amersham. And, you know, we thought a few weeks into North Shropshire we could win there as well. Um, and then we did. Well, uh, insight there into maybe the the discussions around the next general election. But obviously that's a long time away. So things can and will change before then. I'm going to give you some quick evaluation questions before we look to the future and to the Christmas present as well. So, Daisy, what has been your proudest moment of 2021? My, my proudest moment in 2021, um, do you know what? I think it's probably, there's been a, quite a few stories recently on health that I've been quite proud of. For example, um, there's a local pharmacy in St Albans. Uh, this happened just in the last few weeks, uh, last few days, sorry. Uh, the local pharmacy in St Albans have applied twice to become part of the booster vaccination rollout scheme. And they were turned down twice. And the first time they weren't given any explanation at all. And then the second time they were told that there was enough capacity, which is crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, so I thought, goodness me, I wonder how many other pharmacies around the country are facing the same problem. So I did some research 
and uh, and uncovered the fact that there's just you know huge numbers huge numbers of pharmacies across the country that have applied to take part in the booster program and um and haven't been given any kind of authorization to do so so i did a bit of an expose on that um and uh, and challenged the government on it and now the pharmacy in st albans uh, has got an approval to become a vaccination center um and lots of other pharmacies around the country are now starting to hear uh, things as well i'm told so um so yeah i mean you know helping to unlock the key to get pharmacies pharmacies taking part in the booster program i think is one of the one of my proudest moments i would say well it seems like you're impacting people's daily lives there you know that if they're able to get their boosters then they can go back to maybe hopefully normality soon um let's move on to maybe the the negatives what has been your hardest moment oh the hardest moment that's a really easy one to answer actually you know it was at the start of this year when um uh, there was a big, you know, we had that second enormous lockdown, and the question was, should schools go back to, you know, should schools, should children go back to school or not? And um, it was an agonising weekend because I was education spokesperson, and I was being asked what our party position was by every single journalist under the sun, and including all of my MP colleagues. And I spent the whole weekend reading all of the sage minutes, looking at all the underlying data. Um, I was also in touch with the Children's Commissioner, who was talking about the harm that lockdowns caused to, to children. I was in touch with teaching unions. I was in touch with local teachers in local schools here in St Albans. And it just felt like an awful lose-lose situation. You know, if we allowed kids to go to school, then COVID would have run even more rampant than it was and more people would have been hospitalised and, and died. And if we went into lockdown, then um, kids were going to lose out on their education and there's going to be all the mental health problems that come with that. So it just felt like a horrible, horrible decision to make. And, you know, I've told a few people before, I just sat and spent, you know, a couple of hours just crying my eyes out because I just said, this is just such a horrible, horrible decision that we have to make, choosing between these two things. Anyway, I made the decision uh, on the balance of all the evidence. I decided that actually we should call for schools to remain closed for the vast majority of students. Um, the next day, children went back to school and then a day later, they were all shut. So at the time, it felt like a huge decision. But within 48 hours, the government had made that decision itself. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was a pretty... It felt like a tough weekend at the time, but as I say, 48 hours later and the government had come to the same conclusion. I think though that this kind of shows uh, when I talk to, to you, to Bambos, to BIM, how much you actually care for constituents, for, for people. You know, people often kind of look at politicians almost as, as these uh, semi-robotic people that are just in politics for politics and whatever but you talk about real issues you care about people and, and I find it fascinating you know obviously I've talked to to you and and Bim and Dan Boss all year but that that's the kind of feeling that I get from talking to you let's move it though on to something that you feel maybe you got wrong and you'd like to improve on next year no oh. <laughs> um, I feel I get things wrong almost every single day and uh, my one of my husband's little catchphrases is stop beating yourself up so you know, almost every single time I you know uh, do something I kind of wonder whether I could have done it better and make sure I do it better next time round I mean I can't think of anything I, I mean I think you know touch wood there haven't been any major clangers you know or major screw-ups um but you know there's always little things that you feel you can improve on whether it's an interview or whether it's you know the way you get a result for somebody or something like that yeah and um looking at the party is there anything that you feel that your party has got wrong and you'd like to improve on oh um undoubtedly i mean there were i mean there were 
I guess what I would say is like every organisation, every political party, there's quite a lot of internal bureaucracy and red tape. So I'm probably not going to sort of, you know, um, you know, wash the dirty linen in public. But I would say that there are some projects I've been working on within the party that have been quite slow to come to fruition. Um, and uh, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's been frustrating. Um, but I'm working with some colleagues to try and improve it for next time round. So, you know, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's move it then on to the positives we're coming towards the end here first and foremost what are you looking forward to or what are positives in 2022 gosh i wish i could say i mean at the moment there's a huge amount of uncertainty isn't there um and obviously the arrival of omicron there's still so much we don't know about omicron we don't know whether it's more or less severe than delta we just we just don't know yet we do know it spreads a lot faster um and so it feels as though it, it could be a bumpy ride for the next few weeks but we just don't know how bumpy so i guess starting the year again with more uncertainty is is unsettling for a lot of people um, particularly the clinically extremely vulnerable, you know, who who particularly need some kind of certainty, as, as well as hospitality and businesses who are struggling. But in terms of positives, you know, I guess what I would say is, you know, we are we have got vaccines, right? Um, we, the vaccinations are really helping us um, get ahead of the, or at least trying to sort of stay on top of the virus to some extent. Um, even though nobody likes nobody likes the restrictions and the lockdowns and the circuit breakers, you know, people are at least um, aware of what they can involve. Um, and so there's an awareness of that. Um, and I hope that as a country, uh, at the start of next year, I really hope the government gets a handle on this pattern because, you know, we're, COVID is here to stay. Uh, there, you know, there may well be new variants in the future. And we need to have a plan that, you know, where someone can literally flip the switch and a new plan comes into place as to how we deal with that. And I think the country would benefit from some certainty. Um, in terms of what else can I look forward to? Well, I still haven't had my honeymoon. <laughs> uh, um, uh, two and a half years on uh, from my wedding. So maybe we'll get that in 2022. Who knows? Uh, well, that, that's one I think we can all unite behind. Fingers crossed for, for the 2022 honeymoon. Uh, two concluding Christmas discussion points. Christmas, wonderful time of cheer. Um, but the reality is a lot of people are less fortunate than us. Is there a charity you'd like to highlight? Sure. I mean, there's loads of fantastic charities in St Albans that do amazing work all year round. Um, I would always highlight the Food Bank and the Hygiene Bank and um, because they do brilliant work. And people can either donate, you know, actual items or they can set up a standing order or do a one-off donation. Um, St Albans uh, St Albans for Refugees is a fantastic charity um, that has been doing a lot to support um, Afghan refugees uh, and Syrian refugees still um, in the local area. Um, and of course, we have um, a number of very good mental health charities in Youth Talk and the Ollie Foundation in particular. So, uh, yeah, there's a number of charities doing some fantastic work. And then finally we got to talk about it Christmas what's top of your Christmas list and you know I'm talking to politicians here so I know there's going to be one political one but I, I want to know like a, a real a book or, or j just something fun as well sure so I guess the the political wish for Christmas is probably the same as everybody else which is I really 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 hope that we get some scientific evidence showing that Omicron isn't as severe as anything else right that's what that's what I, would be a really nice Christmas present so let's wait and see um but you know uh, that's that in terms of actual tangible gifts I mean I feel like I you know I don't really I'm one of those rubbish people. I'm really bad at coming up with a list of things for birthdays and Christmas. So I normally just say, get me a nice bottle of gin. And, uh, you know, uh, that's basically it. 
there you go butler gin that that's uh, a great answer there and you know it's, it's a nice point to end on thank you so much for your time daisy for today but also throughout the year helping the community here being answerable as well i think it, it's quite uh, interesting that you, you come on and and always answer the community questions i'd like to wish you your family and loved ones a very merry christmas and a happy healthy new year and to you jason thank you very much merry christmas 